Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec. I am super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with the most amazing guest, Fred Burns. Thank you, Fred, so much for being here today with us. It's my pleasure being here, Michelle. I I love being here right now. Awesome. So I am super stoked about what you do and how you do it for people, but I want your words. So give us a 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Well, uh, to begin with, my name is Fred Mertz, and I look at myself as a business psychologist. That's where we start. Um, I'm a CPA. I've got a strong family background, grew up on a large family farm. And, and my role in this world is, is, is to be passionate and, and just love the agriculture community. And I help with them in their transition planning, their taxes, you name it, we're there. We're, we're the business psychologists. Yes, I love that. So how did you get into farming and farm transition? Well, it all started when I was just a little guy. I grew up on a farm and uh, uh, dad said to me, Fred, you got to get education because you're wrecking the place. And, uh, <laughs> and so I said, okay, uh, fine. Okay. I can, I can understand that. And so I uh, went and got a degree and uh, got my CPA and, and uh, got a real estate license because transition issues are, is a big thing now in agriculture with families transferring land. And it's always been in, it's in my blood farming and, and agriculture you know, you can take the, the boy out of the agricultural scene, out of the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy. And uh, it's, it's been part of our life. It's been part of our family for, for many, many years. And I just want to share what I know to help the families move on. And, and the guys that I work with, they're 1% of the world that feeds the world. And we need to understand how important their job is. And I'm trying to make it a better world for them. Nice. I love that. So you work with kind of two separate, what I consider to be two separate arenas. One is you're dealing with the families that are looking to transition out of um, the farming industry for whatever reasons. And you're also working with the investors that are looking to buy into farming for whatever reasons. But there might actually be a third there. There might actually be the farming families that are interested in getting into farming. That's right. Um, Agriculture has changed a lot. And, and, it's a pretty stable industry. Uh, I mean, there's good days and bad days. Weather is a, is a big issue, but farmland is now considered to be a great alternative investment. And investors are coming to us now saying, you know what, what's this all about, Fred? How can we get involved? It's stable and, and land is one of those things, if it's all paid for, you can't steal it. It takes too many truckloads to steal. You just can't steal land. And, and the key there is, is land is very productive. And, and Canada is, is a world leader in, in food production, in food processing. And I think the world is starting to recognize how important we are. And investors are starting to look at land as, as a critical primary production that feeds into further processing. And farming families, um, they need to grow. Uh, they need to have control and access to the land. And what we're trying to put together is have farming families work with investors on long-term basis where both are stakeholders in the process of producing food. And, and there's tax planning that ties around that, uh, transition planning, all kinds of things. It's, 
It's a complicated thing, but it's very simple and easy. You work with nature and you do your best and you feed the world. I love that. So when somebody, like if somebody owns land, can they, and they're already farming it, can they get an investor to back them? Yes. Oh, talk to me about that. Yeah, they can. That's where you you have what we call uh, joint ventures, partnerships, custom farming agreements. And one of the, one of the key play, uh, concerns is is accessing land. Uh, farmers, more and more farmers are renting land because not many people have kids that want to take over. And so the parents are hanging on to the land and, and the cash flow is a big challenge in agriculture for, for the farming community. And so investors, when they, when they buy that land, they can do a long-term rental agreement or joint venture with the investor where the stakeholder, the tenant, the farmer, uh, he provides the stewardship uh, good farming practices, because farming is all about sustainability. It's all about regenerative practices and qualitative production. And, and you get the farming families who are committed to that, working with the investors, and you've got a good mix there. Awesome. And what would attract an investor to, to farmland? Uh, that's a good question, Michelle. The, the first thing that attracts the investor is stability. It's not it's, it's not like the stock market where it goes up and down like a yo-yo. Real estate prices are pretty stable. Yeah, they do fluctuate. But historically, since 1970, land in Alberta and Canada has gone up on the average between 7 and 8% every year. It's a pretty stable investment. It's like gold that pays a dividend because you can use it, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can produce off it. Um, and it's there. It's real. Awesome. So... Is, that, um, is there a minimum requirement to get in for the, on the investor side? Well, um, unfortunately, it, it takes a lot of money to, to get into full-scale farming. Like on the equipment side, like a combine today is a million dollars. Wow. Uh, tractors are hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like it takes several millions of dollars to, just to put the iron on the land, to, to, to use the equipment to farm it, eh? Uh, and land itself is, is appreciating in value. It's up quite a bit. Uh, land varies anywhere from, oh, I don't know, a few thousand dollars to, to double digit uh, per thousand dollars per acre. So right now, the average price in Alberta is probably running around $4,500, $5,500 an acre for cultivated acres. And a few years ago, it was probably half that price, maybe less than that. Well, so hey, what contributed to that? Um, well, production is, is one factor. Um, farmers are great producers. They, they can turn the key on and man, you know what, they can produce 100 bushels to an acre where 10, 15 years ago, it might have been 70 or 60, 50 uh, bushels to an acre. Production has, has forced the price of land up because it's more productive. It creates more value. There's more cash flow coming out of it. And that's one reason. The other reason is there's only so much land in this world, in this country, and there's so much arable land. And we don't have a lot more land that we can put into production. Eh? And so it, it's a limited resource. And because of that, it's got high value. Nice. And what, do you say that there's a difference between having livestock on the, on the land versus? Grain? Yeah, well, well livestock, um, livestock is usually on grass. You know, and, and farmers, when I talk about farmers, I, I always include them as ranchers too, right? Ranchers are guys that run cattle and, and they, they have some, 
they produce hay and they have some cultivated acres where they might take some silage off and things like that. But they work hand in hand. Livestock is really good for the land. Eh? It, 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 it fertilizes the land. It, it, it takes the grass off. It, it's nature working its way through it. And then the farmers that produce the crops, they, they, they do rotations. Eh? They might have barley one year and next year they might have an oil seed or, or lentils or something like that. But it, it's all about sustainability and regenerative practices, which, which is keeping things going. And the other, the other thing that I, I need to mention about farmland is you've heard about ESG, environmental, social, and governance. And, and, and land itself is a great carbon sink. And that's the other thing that's attracting investors is, is this net zero emissions um, Land, yeah, farmers do do produce some carbon through fruit production, like the tractors and the diesel that they're running. But at the same time, land itself is a great carbon sink. And, and to me, right now, the government needs to somehow put it all together to see what that looks like. I, I know the government has carbon credits and there's carbon tax of 50 bucks of going up to 170 bucks, whatever that number is. But Farmland is a great sink that can offset some of that. And I think that's where investors are trying to look at. It's the new, what I call surface income in agriculture, the carbon credits. Interesting. So my first thought, and I could be totally wrong, feel free to, because this is not my area of expertise at all in any way, shape or form. But say hypothetically that the cities decide to go on green cars or, or green trains, things like that and that the production of electricity happens out in the middle of nowhere. So to me, my brain goes, oh yeah, that's a great idea because the trees are just taking in the, the carbon dioxide and that's what they need, that's what they love, life is good. But is there a pollution effect on, on the plants, on the food? Are there certain things that you don't want to have near farmland that you could have otherwhere or other places? Well, I, I know some marginal land is, is now being utilized for um, solar panels. And so um, if the land isn't very productive and it's, it's located in a, in a place that's near a, I, I guess a, a powers, power line system, I, I'm no engineer, but I, I've seen that happening now. More and more solar panels are going onto farmlands. Uh, and, and so that land is no longer productive, never was really productive to begin with, but it's a good alternative use is we're producing solar energy. Uh, the, the challenge with that is, is how many acres do you consume doing that? Uh, how close are you to a battery source? We have to store it in, in a main service line that goes and feeds other cities and towns. So that, that's happening. Windmills, uh, I think they're not, they're not popping up like they used to. Um, windmills, again, is another source of, of energy that will be put on vast lands of, of uh, land in the middle of nowhere. And, and I guess the concern there is, are they as efficient as solar? I don't know, but those are some other uses where, where marginal land can come in. And in terms of um, impacting uh, agriculture, I, I guess if it's not productive land, that's maybe a good way to, to use it. Okay, so what would make a piece of land a considered to be marginal land? Well, I guess, if it's rocky, if it's got uh, not very good topsoil, things like that. Um, dry land, it, it can still be productive if you get the, the rainfall. Irrigated land, like in Southern Alberta, uh, you've got irrigation rights and, and, and at least one of your factors of 
weather is eliminated with lack of rainfall, you've got irrigation. But basically, land, if it's too rocky, uh, there's not enough soil. Uh, again, I'm not an agrologist, but th those properties are marginal. And so the it can still produce, but you got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because the, the greatest return for any business is survival. That's the highest return you can get is basically surviving. And if that land is marginal, you have to ask yourself, why am I putting into production? It could go into production in the future, depending on where food prices go. And again, that is a factor that could impact marginal land in the future, where they can regenerate the soil, add things to it, and maybe turn into more productive land. But again, costs have to be taken into account. And what drives costs is, is what the future prices will look like. So, so and again, I'm, I may be taking you somewhere you don't want to go, but I'm just thinking of the investor that's looking for land and maybe they're not finding kind of the productive land. Would it make sense to do something like putting on a, a power plant on marginal land so that it's not really negatively affected, but it could be positively effective because now that's got the carbon to actually yeah. increase plant around there? Well, that's not a bad idea, Michelle. I mean, I'm not against it because uh, you're absolutely right. There's carbon offsets when you do things like that. And, and you always want to put your, your resources to the best use and, and, and a use that's clean. That's not negative to the environment or, or to the society or things like that. And, and doing that is not, a, a in my mind, it's okay as long as it's for the right reasons, you know. Um, and if you get zero emission net from that plant or from that process, it's a good thing. And that's the direction we're heading into. I'm not sure we can rely on solar and wind power or green energy 100% in the future. I don't think we ever will be able to, but we're moving in that direction. And the farming community is slowly moving in that direction too with the equipment that they're running. And they're coming out with some better technologies in farming practices. Eh? That is awesome. I, I love it because I think it's an important conversation to have because I think a lot of people live in such little microcosms. They don't understand the big macrocosm and they don't understand other microcosms. <laughs> so it's like they're they're basing their decision off of sitting in their house, looking outside the window, as opposed to, hey, what does this really mean? How do people really get that productivity? So one of the things that I'm fascinated about in the ownership of land is Canadian regulations around land and how it impacts families, inheritances, and things. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. Um, I guess you have to be a, a, a Canadian resident and, and, a, and a citizen. A Canadian resident is number one and a citizen uh, to own land, at least in Alberta. Each province has their own regulations. But in Alberta, if you're, if you're a foreigner, uh, you're limited to 20 acres of land. It's, it's, it's sort of a, a government protection food policy, eh? but land has been historically farmed by, by families, okay? Primary production has is, is always been done by farming families. Big industry, they step in and they do the value added, the processing, things like that. And farming families are, are very good at what they do. They're committed to this. Uh, I mean, it's a 24 seven day job. Um, when you're calving, you're out there constantly checking the cows. When you're when you're cropping, you're, you want to make sure you you put the seed in, and you might run your equipment 24/7 during the seeding. Harvest is the same way, and that it's a culture. Uh, farming is 
a business and a culture. And the older generation, I think it's more of a culture than a business because um, to them, their time is whatever their time is. Like they don't measure their time. They're out there all day. And, and farmers look at things that grow. Like the wow that they get out of agriculture is watching that calf born, watching that calf grow every day. You know, just think about it. you get, get a new calf born, you lift that calf every day. And they say that at the end of uh, a year, you can lift that cow. I don't know. I don't think I believe that. But that calf grows <laughs> every day and, and, and you see life, you see death, the crops. Uh, it's, it's something very special and dear when, when, when you can help nature move along. And at the end of the day, you harvest, you sell your cattle, um, you're feeding the world. And, and that land stays in the family and that land is passed on from generation to generation. And the government has some pretty good tax regimes right now in, in passing it on from parent to child. Eh? Um, I, I don't know if we want to get into the detail, but there's some great tax incentives and I'm hoping that the government will continue with that. I believe they will because the farming family, if it disappears, we're in big trouble because there's no one else committed to food production like the Canadian farming families and the ranchers included. There's no one else that's that committed and you can't replace them. So as an alternative investment, I see it as a huge opportunity for people who want to have sustainability because if it's not kept in the within families, what are the alternatives? Well, I guess you, you can get into tower farming, you know, like you, you, you have to buy your sunshine, you have to buy your rain, you know, when you have indoor plumbing with the greenhouses and that's coming. And I, I think it's got a place in the world, but it's very costly. And, and I'm not so sure if you get the, the true natural production of food, but that, that's another way of, of supplementing some of the food supply. But what's really important is having People, investors team up with farming or with farming families, and they're all stakeholders in this. That's what counts. Uh, and, and the farmer is the steward. He can run that show, uh, but he needs commitment and access to land. That's what they need, access to land. And if they have access to it, they can do wonderful things with it. Nice. And you and I benefit. Absolutely. Do Does all the land need to be... Um, viable or agricultural like if so for, hypothetically for example so my son would love nothing more than for us to just go way up north buy a township for him and let him stay out there forever um but i also told him well i'm pretty sure you have to actually work the land somehow some way so what are the rules and regulations around that well um i guess if you got natural native grass you don't you don't work the land if you've got native grass it's native it grows it, it's it's been there for thousands of years and you can run some cattle you just got to be careful you don't overgraze your land so it comes back every year and producers are, are really good about that the last thing they want to do is to hurt the land in a way that it can't come back into production in the way they want it so native grass uh you know run your cattle uh, you can take some hay off it, depending if what the moisture is, if you can produce it. Uh, some land, you'll, you'll turn it over and make it into cultivated acres, things like that. Forest, you keep forest because they're a great carbon sink and they provide other opportunities. Tree farming, things like that. Um, land is there to use. And, and uh, 
it's it's there to be used properly. It's there to be respected. And and what what needs to happen is farming practices are ever changing so much. I can't believe the changes are coming in, and that's helping keep moisture in the land. That's keeping the nutritional value in the land. But you can also leave land on its own if it's like native grass, things like that. Right? Very cool. So would forest land, for example, still fall under the same inherent inheritable tax? Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. I'm yeah. using the right word there or not, but yeah, it's 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 a little bit different, but it's it's um, um it falls under agriculture. I mean, there, there's some technical issues there if you sell the uh, the land with the trees on it versus the inventory that comes off the land, things like that. And, and I don't know if we're, we're if, if this podcast is, is set for that, but there, there's some different differences there, but tree farming is part of agriculture. The government defines farming by what it does. Like honeybees is farming, fish farming, uh, raising bison, cattle. It's defined by activity. That, that's how farming is defined yeah, by, by our government in the Income Tax Act. Cool. So what are some of the fun ones, like the bees and the bison? Uh, well, let's talk about the bees and the bison. <laughs> well, the bison, I, I mean, you raise it for meat. I mean, that's that's farming. Uh, uh, I mean, what are some of the other weird ones that you've heard? So, sorry? What are some of the other fun ones that you've seen? Well, I mean, there's, there's chickens, there's turkeys, there's eggs, there's milk, uh, there's honey, there's fish. Uh, and I think insects is a new one, crickets coming into it, you know, for protein, things like that. Um, if you have, if you raise animals for pets, that's not considered farming, that's a business. If you raise anything for food consumption, it, it, it's considered to be farming, eh, for food consumption, or, or a process that leads into food consumption, eh. Uh, flowers, um, I guess if you use that for perfumes, things like that. Um, it, it's, it's. It's defined by the activity itself, right? As long as it's a viable business and you make yeah. money off of it, then it becomes. Well, you don't. Is that it? I mean, you got to have an expectation of profit. And if you don't have that, then they might consider that to be a hobby. And that's okay. a whole different area now we're talking about hobby farming. It's, it's quite different. And so what is hobby farming by definition? Well, hobby farming is you're, act, you're actually doing that for the fresh air. And, and yeah, so I mean, there's full time awesome. farming, there's restricted farming, and there's hobby farming. And hobby farming is you're out there just to enjoy yourself, and and you pedal around. You might have a few honeybees and this and that, and you you don't expect to make any money. Um, but if you do make some sales, you're supposed to report it to the government. Uh, but it it there's no expectation of profit, and it's really it's it's the fresh air experience and being with nature. That's a hobby farmer, right? And a restrictive farm, if you want to start getting into that, that's that's where the chief source of income isn't from agriculture or some combination of income. But they can still declare their losses and they, they still have to report their income and things like that. And a full-time farmer, well, he's in the game. He's, he's the guy that uh, he's out there 24-7. That's his full-time job. They might have some off-farm jobs, but basically they're, they're in the business of uh, farming or ranching. Nice. And would there be tax incentives, I'm assuming, for each one of those? Or yeah, it's yeah, just a matter yeah. of what your long-term objective is? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, farmers, as a rule, you know, they don't pay much in taxes because their bottom line goes to zero. They grind it down. You know, <laughs> uh, there's ways to grind income, eh? And it's all legit. It's just 
um, th their expenses come in and they, they pre-buy inputs and fertilizer and they spend a lot of money and equipment. It, it's, a, it's a business. It's run mm -hmm. like a business. And, uh, and th that's happening more and more. And it's steering away from the lifestyle, the culture, right? It's become more business with the new generation coming in. So what about somebody that starts off as a hobby farmer and they accidentally start creating profit? Well, that's <laughs> the good. best idea. That's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with profit. With that. Yeah, exactly. Profit is good. Profit. What, We're capitalists. What, what would happen yeah, as far as taxes go? Are they in a better position because they're making profit or are they? is it just a net well, net? Well, the, the advantage of if you start making it, if there's an expectation of profit, you start making money, that, then what the benefit you get out of there is tax is never 100%, right? Mm -hmm. Tax is whatever rate it is, but it's not 100%. So you get to keep some of that money in your pocket after you pay the government. Thing is, you get to write off some other things that normally you couldn't have written off, like maybe part of your mortgage because you're using uh, your facilities and things like that, your property, your property taxes, other costs that you would normally not write off because you can't. But now you can start writing those things off because it's part of your overall expense structure in making a profit and running that hobby farm. Remember, you, there's got to be an expectation of profit. That, that's number one. Awesome. So who would you say as your ideal client? Who, who do you absolutely love to work with that fits into that, your soft spot? Oh, well, I, oh, well, we've got so many ideal clients. I, I, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I love them all. Um, I love clients that we talk to. I mean, there's clients we talk to three, four times a month. And, and that's what we need to do. We need to be in communication always. Because when you're dealing with perishable goods, today it's alive, tomorrow it's gone. Bang, just like that. Eh? And so talking to our clients on a regular basis keeps us informed. We get to know what's happening. We understand what, what their business is all about. We understand the industry. And that really sets the pace down the road for planning, for, for spending money in the right places or not spending money, uh, talk about how we should move the land maybe to the kids. It really comes down to communicating with these guys every day. Well, not every day, but you know, <laughs> you, you gotta anyone, have a little coffee shop next to your well, office if you're gonna do that. <laughs> you know, clients that you know, in my profession as a CPA, um, if you talk to clients once a year, one of us is gonna get fired. <laughs> right? Because it just doesn't make sense. I mean, oh, yeah. you gotta be in constant contact to to have a good working relationship and to be on top of things. You know, we try our best to do that. A lot of our clients are, well, they're all great people. I love them all. Nice. It just reminds me of the, the coffee shops in small town, rural Canada, where the, where everybody gets done their, their early morning chores yeah. and then they go and hit the coffee shop yeah. and find out who's doing what, where, and where the water's going, where the weather's going. <laughs> exactly. Those coffee shops, I tell you, more business is done, Michelle, in coffee shops than you can think about. And we get a lot of calls out of the coffee shops. Guess what, Fred? What? Oh, no, no, it's not right. No, I'm sure it is. So, yeah, awesome. it's, it's, a, it's a great world. I love it. Love it. So give us a Cinderella story of one of your clients. A Cinderella story. Okay. Uh, not hmm. that any of them are going from rags to riches per se, but <laughs> it's oh. a really good. Uh... Well, I, I mean, some of this, well, one of the Cinderella stories is, is, is how the land, some of the land that our clients have, how it 
help them grow even bigger and better. And, and, and one of the Cinderella stories is, is um, several years ago, we, we had well, this one particular client. We, we had the opportunity to sell their land. Okay. And that's when there was a big land rush on. And, and so his land was located near major center. And, and uh, it was, it was tough farming that land because of the traffic, eh? like, you know, you're moving heavy equipment and when you're moving a combine or tractors on the highway, you, you, the traffic is backed up. And I don't think the mortars appreciate that. So we had the opportunity in, in, in selling that land. And we took that land and we turned around and we bought a lot more land with it because that land was high priced. And we bought cheaper land further out. And that allowed that family to grow without paying tax. There's certain tax rules that we applied where we're use replacement property rules and they, they took a quarter section and they replaced it with a whole bunch of other land which helped them grow and expand oh there goes my phone it's probably a client asking me what what, what he needs to do um, <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> oh my gosh they never stop phoning uh, so so what happens there is is they took this land they, they took the proceeds and they bought a few hundred other acres more acres with it and they didn't have to pay tax. And now they have a larger land base to farm. They got more acres they can share with the family members and be more productive. And that to me is a great story in growing without having to pay the government a tax bill. I love that. And, and those stories happen every day if you plan it out right. So what are the stumbling blocks that somebody might be having right now? And they're thinking, oh my God, Fred, I need you so badly. Well, one of the stumbling blocks is, is, is cash flow. I mean, farmers, I mean, they, they run a tight ship. They got good years and bad years. And, and you want to be on top of your cash flow. You want to have a good working relationship with, with your banker, with your accountant, with even with your lawyer. I mean, hopefully you don't need those guys very often, but, but you want a good working relationship and we all need to be communicating. And, and, you know, like this year we had the drought and it was tough on a lot of guys. And so they didn't have a crop to sell or they were short on their contract, things like that. So, you, so they need extra cash to, to carry them over to the next year. And, and this is where having good working relationship with those professionals, where it, it's, you want to make it seamless, right? You want to be able to borrow the money that you need because you'll have a crop next year and, you know, you can make those payments and things like that. That is really important. The other, the other, the other thing that's really important is, is the families are changing. Um, maybe 10, 12% of our clients, the kids will take over the land. And, and that to me is a sad thing, but it's an opportunity also. We look at it as an opportunity because 80, 90% of the land will be transferred into some other hands outside the family. And, and the kids that want to stay in the business have the ability to access that land. And that is a golden opportunity. But the only way they can do it is by getting stakeholders involved. Because cash is tight and, and there's a lot of debt in the industry and we need to replace that debt with equity. And so if 10, 12% of the farmers, their kids take over and the rest that want to either rent or sell out, those kids that are farming for, for their livelihood have some golden opportunities, but they can't do it on their own. Farming is a community effort. It's a world effort. I mean, agriculture has to come back into the community because the community feeds the world. 
Awesome. Well, and I know a lot of the millennials that are going back to the land, calling themselves homesteaders, where it's mm -hmm. they've turned off the electricity, so to speak, and going back to au naturel. I think it's a, a really cool opportunity for people that are in the higher tax brackets that are having million dollar tax problems to go, okay, what can I do this to offset my taxes? I could put a million dollars into land and then they get the tax advantages of it and the millennials are getting the advantage to having land to farm. Well, I mean, if, if, you, if you're a qualified farmer mm -hmm. and you got what we call qualified farm property, it's one of the biggest kept secrets in this country. You can transfer that land to kids for generations without paying tax, as long as you meet this test, right? The qualified farm property test. You can transfer that. That's that's unheard of. Um, you've got what we call the capital gain exemption, a million dollars per person. Again, if you qualify for it, every time you transfer land over, or if you decide to sell it outside the family or whatever, the first million dollars of gain is tax-free per person, but but you got to meet the tests, eh? And and they're not as difficult as people think they are. But once you meet the test, they're pretty well with you for life, you know. And uh, and that's another way of, of keeping the family farm in the family because um, land is not cheap. I, I believe land has never been cheap in this country. It's always been expensive. In order to continue with the generational farmers. You've got to give them some opportunities to, to be able to take over the land with having a huge tax burden. And I think it's a great opportunity. I really do. Thanks. So I know some of our listeners are going to want more from you. So how would they start their journey with you? Ah, by, well, they can, they can look at our website, uh, voiceofagriculture.ca, or they can call us. Uh, um, I don't know what my, 800 number is i never remember that <laughs> we will but, put those in the show notes for yeah you. i don't scroll down i know my and i've got uh our office number uh what's that 403-277-2605 uh, yeah. i got some in my head i'm losing my numbers <laughs> yeah. awesome. no we, we love to talk to people about about the opportunities in our culture and we love our clients and uh i think we're paying playing a big role in helping uh feed the world and moving ahead and, and putting Canada on the map as a world food exporter. Love that. So I have to ask you before I let you go is what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? I think my parents told me that they said, Fred, you're, you're, you're nuts. You know, you're, you're wrecking the place. You want to do this. You want to do that. And so, uh, Anyway, I don't know. I th I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always, uh, I've always loved working with nature. I've al I like numbers. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess from the day I was born, it's been in my blood. It, well, it's been in our family blood. Our, our whole family is is entrepreneurship, and and, and uh, it's once you have it, it's there forever. I think. It's, Love that. It's just the way of life for me. It's every day. I guess I've never really thought of farming uh, as being an entrepreneurial adventure, but obviously it is because it's you and the cattle and mother nature. It's, oh, yeah. It doesn't get better and more freedom yeah. than that. Yeah, we, we have uh, a lot of clients that come into our office and they've got more than just dirt on their boots when they come in. <laughs> That's when you know you're dealing with reality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the smell of the farm comes right into the office and we love it. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. So any last word for our peeps? Um, 
keep smiling, everybody. Uh, there's food on the table. The grocery stores are full. You can count on, on, your, on your farmers and ranchers to keep the, the aisles full of food. And uh, I think they're doing a great job. And try to understand what agriculture is about. I, I think we need an education process between the rural communities and, 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 and the urban communities. And I think they're trying to really hard to, to educate the people where milk is coming from. No, it doesn't come from Safeway, Sally. It comes from a cow. And if you feed that cow molasses, you'll get chocolate milk. Yeah. <laughs> brown cows don't make chocolate milk. <laughs> I, you're right. They don't make chocolate. Brown cows don't as make chocolate As much as we like to tease them. Yeah. 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 I was the city kid that got teased. So I yeah. know this one. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it immensely. If you have questions or you want to know more, absolutely get out. Well, the Freddie loves to talk to you yeah. and loves to go for coffee and find out more about who you know, what you want to know especially in the world of agriculture in Canada. Awesome. Thank you very much, Michelle. I truly enjoyed this and uh, make sure you have your glass of milk, eh? Hey, <laughs> this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you so much for being with us here today. If you know anyone who would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a question or topic you'd like me to discuss, reach out to me at michelle at awarenessstrategies.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.